as the kids are dismissed to Kids Blast, you can, if you are willing, and I would love you to be willing, open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 13. We are going to cover Joshua chapter 13 through 19 this morning, which, yes, that is seven chapters. So it is going to be more of an overview and looking at some key portions and trying to get you some, some highlights and what's going on here. I encourage you uh, to, in your time, uh, read it or at least look through it. There's a lot of geography in this, so a lot of cities listed. Uh, everything in Scripture is there and it's important, and this is an important record to have. Um, it's not the type of thing, though, that uh, we're going to uh, read all these lists. It would take the entire time to uh, read all of this out loud. If you, at least for this message, have it open in front of you, I would uh, suggest a paper Bible because you can see the bigger picture a little bit easier that way. Let's pray and let's get into this. Father, as we come before you and we worship you and we look at your word, may you teach us truth about yourself. Help us to see that you are a God that not only makes promises, but you deliver on these promises. And Lord, we ask you to give us the faith that we need to receive these promises, to take possession of them, to believe that these are true, even if it seems too good to be true, but that you say it so we know that it is true. And that even if it seems that there are too many challenges or too many obstacles, if you have said that this is the case, help us to believe that, Lord God. So we're thankful for all that you have given us, Lord. We thank you for your track record of faithfulness. And we give you praise. And we especially thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lived the perfect life and died and rose for us and for our salvation. And Lord, I ask that it, if there's anyone here that has not laid hold of that gift, that above anything and everything else, that they would be drawn to you and that they would take hold of the offer of free salvation through Jesus Christ and the price that he has paid. We give you praise. We give you thanks. Be with us this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I have here, this is a, uh, a gift certificate to a restaurant that I've, we've never used. It's an unused gift certificate. And, uh, well, I still have it because we've, we've never used it. I'll tell you this, it's not from uh, anyone that is uh, from the church. So I want to make that, that clear. I don't want to discourage anyone to give us uh, gift certificates uh, to restaurants if you'd like to. Not that I'm fishing for that. I just don't want to discourage that. Okay, it is a nice gift. But this one we had, and I still have it. And thinking about kind of the reasons for that, uh, it was, it was, I'm not going to say who it was from, but somebody out of state. And actually, it's a restaurant we've never been to. It's like one specific restaurant. And honestly, we, we don't know what the restaurant is like. I mean, apparently it was nice to, to give us this. But it's also not really close to us. And it's not really an area or place or direction that normally we, we, we travel there anyways. And so it's one of those things. We got it. And okay, this is nice. And maybe we'll use it sometime. And it gets put aside, and it, you know, days go by, and weeks, and months, and years, and I realize I still have this. And I look on it, and it, sees, it says here, um, let's see, uh, the promotional value expires March 12, 2015. <laughs> so, whoops. <laughs> 
So it sounds like there's some value on it, but it's like half of what it would have been if we would have believed that, hey, this is worth doing. This is worth taking the time to, to take a drive and go to this restaurant. But as it is now, we have the offer here, but we never really took possession of the, the food and the experience that it, it would have provided us. And the reason I say this is because as we take a look at the overview of these seven chapters in Joshua, 13 through 19, it's going to be talking about the inheritance of the land and dividing this out and their need to still to take possession of the land and to move in and settle in and also uh, to drive out some of the tribes that are still there. But what we're going to see, what, as I was thinking about this and studying it, that a big principle for us that is, that is throughout all of this is that there's a big distinction between being given something and taking possession of it that things can be given but not, not taken. That, and we're going to see in this passage and these, through this that faith is what's required. Believing that this is worth taking in order to take what is given. So let's uh, take a look at this. We're in the place in uh, Joshua where basically the main part of the conquest is over. They've done the major battles. They've uh, destroyed some of the major strongholds in cities. There's been probably seven years of warfare at this point. And so the, the backbone of the wicked Canaanites that live there has, has been broken. Uh, but now it's the, uh, another phase that they need to do. You know, the real high-octane adventurous part of this, of the conquest and war and battles, is done. And now it's a matter of, well, you've got to now settle in. You've got to move into the land. And you've got you to settle down and take possession and start building a life here and uh, you know, the f- uh, farming the land and doing everything you need to. And also there's still some of the Canaanites that are still out there because uh, the major areas were taken care of, but there's still some and you've got to drive them out. You've got to finish the job and it's going to take effort. It's not going to be a quick thing. You've got to persevere and do this. But it's less exciting. It's less dramatic. And we're going to see how they do. So let's, uh, in 13, let's start sampling a little bit of this. Uh, the first part of the message, I want to really draw out the point that God was faithful in giving what he promised. So even if you think this doesn't apply to me at all, this is, you know, what do I care who, what area, a different tribe got in ancient Israel, this shows us that God is faithful. And if he was faithful then, he's faithful now. Because God is not a God who changes. God is faithful in what he promises. Let's read in chapter 13. It says, Now Joshua was old and advanced in years. And the Lord said to him, You are old and advanced in years. <laughs> I'm like, Thanks for letting me know. <laughs> and, it said, and the Lord said, And there remains yet very much land to be possessed. And this is the land that yet remains, all the regions of the Philistines and all those of the Gershurites from the Shihor, which is east of Egypt, northward to the boundary of Ekron. It is counted as Canaanite. And it goes through and it lists all these different areas uh, that are still uh, need to be taken care of, that are still kind of Canaanite strongholds or their different areas. And they're also scattered throughout the land as well. If we skip down into... Um, verse 7, it says, Now therefore divide this land for an inheritance to the nine tribes and half the tribe of Manasseh. 
So this is going to get into dividing the, uh, the land, the promised land, to the different tribes. And bring up a, a map here. It talks about the nine and a half tribes. And, and part of the reason for this is that there were, at least, there were two, three tribes, technically two and a half, that already had some inheritance that was on the east side of the Jordan River, which isn't technically Canaan. It's not technically the promised land. Uh, but prior to this, when they were over there ready to come in, some of these tribes said, hey, could we have this land? And the Lord, through Moses, told them, actually, yeah, you may. I'll, I'll allow that. But you have to promise to go over and, and fight with your, your brothers to conquer the and drive the Canaanites out of the, uh, the promised land, the land of Canaan that's on the other side of the river. And they said, yeah, we'll do that. And they did. So that's why you, you have some of the um, tribes, Reuben, Gad, and to the east Manasseh that are over there on the east side of the Jordan River. And if we keep going in um, Joshua 13, it talks about uh, these different half tribe, these different, these two tribes and the one half tribe. And uh, the land and where they are and it lists the different cities and the different geography and we can look at a map here now and see kind of how that's all put together. Now let's go to chapter 14, read a little bit more here. It says, these are the inheritances that the people of Israel received in the land of Canaan, which Eliezer the priest and Joshua the son of Nun and the heads of the fathers' houses of the tribes of the people of Israel gave them to inherit. Their inheritance was by lot, just as the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses. We'll come back to that, but it, this is, it's by lot, so they were drawing lots. I mean, lots were used in different ways. You, you could almost like roll it as dice or draw it out of a bag. It's like, you know, you're, you're drawing, uh, you know, what is, what is your lot? What are you going to get? It's like drawing names out of a hat, that type of thing. So it's going to seem random on one point. It's not up to them to just make this decision, but it's actually not random. It, we're going to see it's actually from the Lord. He's directing this behind the scenes. And then it says, verse 3, For Moses had given an inheritance to the two and one-half tribes beyond the Jordan, but to the Levites he gave no inheritance among them. For the people of Joseph were two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim, and no portion was given to the Levites in their land, but only cities to dwell in with their pasture land for their livestock and their subsistence. And, and then verse 5, the people of Israel did as the Lord commanded Moses and they allotted the land. So we'll stop right there. After this, it talks about Caleb. We'll come back to that. And then as you go through the next few chapters, a lot of it is uh, a lot of detailed geography, saying this is the land I'm giving to to Judah, and it you know lists where it is and where the boundaries are, and it it takes a long time to kind of spell that all out. Uh, the Lord didn't uh, give divinely inspired maps. I know you have maps in the back of your Bible, probably, uh, but those aren't the those aren't inspired by God. But it's because we have these detailed records that people that make maps are able to look at this and draw out things that are real helpful and we can see, okay, these are the different areas that were given to, to the different tribes. Now for us, we might look at this and think, you know, all these details of uh, geography and, you know, the tribe of Benjamin goes from this city to this city and this is the boundary 
That may seem really boring to us, but think of how important this would have been to the tribes of Israel to know where their property lines are. And you, know, you can go to probably, you know, the county or the village and you know, get detailed maps and descriptions of you know, if you own property, where your property is and where it goes from this marker to this tree or rock or stream or whatever. And if we got that and we read all that, that would take a long time and probably be kind of dull. But it is important to you to know where your property is. So this is an important record that we have in Scripture. But also, just another key thing of this is it shows that the Lord was faithful to give to Israel the land that he promised to give to Abraham long ago. I mean, these chapters were centuries in the making. Centuries when God had promised that he was going to give this land to Abraham's descendants. And here finally, he's delivering this. And they've conquered it. And now they're to move in. They're to possess this land and take it, and, and take it over and to, to live there. God not only promises, but God delivers on his promises. These promises go way back to Genesis chapter 12. Let me read this just so we are reminded of the fact that this is a fulfillment of promise from, from hundreds of years ago. Genesis 12, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God's going to make them into this great nation, and he says, you know, the nations that, that bless you are going to be blessed. If they, you know, curse you, they're going to be cursed. It's good to be an ally to them. And also the nation of Israel, all nations will be blessed through them. And the ultimate way that that comes to fulfillment is Jesus comes out of the, the nation of Israel. And we, I go on there and it talks about how Abraham, he was 75. He gets up, he departs from where he is with all his uh, possessions and his wife and uh, his uh, brother's son, Lot, and they go to the land of Canaan and they, they arrive there and the Canaanites are in the land at the time. In verse 7, this is in Genesis 12, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. And so he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. So he said, this land, as he's there, he said, this I'm going to give to your offspring. I'm not just going to give you some land anywhere. I'm going to give you this, this land. And I'm going to specifically give it to your offspring, the ones that are descendant from you. So God, in these chapters of long descriptions of geography, this is a fulfillment of those promises. God told Abram, who became Abraham, that he would make him into a great nation. They didn't even have children at the time. And God, in their old age, gave them Isaac. And then Isaac, uh, they, had, they had Jacob. And Jacob had his uh, 12 sons, which became basically the 12 tribes of Israel. And uh, when you get to the end of uh, Genesis, uh, there's only like 70 of them. And you think if God is going to make these people into a great nation, a great nation needs at least three things. It needs people, law, and land. And so at the end of Genesis, they go down to Egypt and they're saved there, but they end up in slavery. 
Uh, but through all that, they're kept so they're not wiped out. And instead, God multiplies them. So when they're the time of the Exodus, when they leave there with Moses, there's got to be like at least like two million of them. And so now you got people. They need law. So God gives them the Ten Commandments, and He gives them the rest of the uh, Old Testament, the Old Covenant law. And then you, people, you got law, but they need land. And so in Joshua, we see here, he gives them the promised land and they have to go conquer it and then take possession of it. So this fulfillment of this promise to Abraham really is like the, the backbone of what uh, these first six books of scripture are all about. God making this promise and God fulfilling it, giving him people law and now land. So yeah, these chapters are really hundreds of years in the making. And we could study uh, the descriptions here and point out, you know, kind of interesting things. We know there's 12 tribes, and we talk about that because uh, Jacob had 12 sons. He actually didn't have a son named Manasseh, and he didn't have one named Ephraim. He did have one named Joseph. Now, the reason for that is Joseph uh, was uh, the, the oldest of Rebekah, um, and he was his favorite uh son and so kind of he gets the double blessing here and so joseph kid his sons are manasseh and ephraim so they come from uh joseph and kind of split there and it doesn't give an inheritance here for levi but he gets a different responsibility the levites are to serve god and some of the levites are the priesthood and so they have a different responsibility their inheritance is going to be the lord and their service and their work that God is giving them. It's going to be distinct and different from everyone else. So they end up being uh, just given certain cities and they're scattered through, uh, through the land. It's interesting, back in Genesis, Genesis 49.8, um, when, well, it talks about the prominence of Judah, but uh, right before that, it talks about Simeon and Levi, and they kind of get passed over for some of the more special blessings. They were older than, than Judah. Um, but there's a part where it says, uh, as Jacob blesses him at the end of his life, he says, Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their sword. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. And so there's going to be some consequence for the, the violence they had in their life. And then in this prophecy, it says, I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Talking about Simeon and Levi. And so it's interesting as you look at this, we see Simeon and Levi. Simeon's territory is actually carved out of the tribe of Judah in the kind of the Negev region in the south there. And Levi, it says, it's, I will scatter them in Israel. They actually don't have actual territory. They are literally scattered about in these cities kind of throughout so God is fulfilling this promise. We also see in, as we think about this, we realize that the Lord is sovereign in what he gives. These were given according to plan. Uh, not even just going back to Jacob, but you know, God's ordained plan from, from before the beginning. Uh, the inheritance, it was done by lots. So in a way you think, well, this is just random. We're drawing, you know, like drawing names out of a hat. But in reality, it was not random. Because God was behind this. He was allotting to each of them what they were to have. Proverbs 16.33 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. And I believe that God works his providence in all things. 
that even things that to us seem like they're just random chance occurrences, like the throwing of a dice, that God is sovereign and his plan uh, works in and through even all of that. It includes everything. So your life is not a random collection of miscellaneous details that are just kind of thrown together. Your life is not just a, a mishmash of, of random things that happen for no reason. Your life is a story that God has ordained to exist. That is part of the big story that starts from the beginning with, with God bringing this world into existence for his glory. Creation, fall, redemption in Christ, and the future hope that we look forward to coming. God is the main character in this story, but your life is an important part of it and an important subplot that is part of it, and it feeds into the main story of God's glory. So never think that the details in your life are just these random things. It's part of the story that God has ordained for his purposes and for his glory. And so our lot in life, yeah, it's not all the same, but God has reasons for what he has allowed, what he has chosen, what he has ordained for our lives. As we look through this passage, if we read through it, we'd also see that many tribes were, were slack in taking what God was giving them. We see some failure here, failure in their faith. And let me read to you from Joshua 18, 1 through 3. It says, this is after they've distributed some of the land. It says, Then the whole congregation of the people of Israel assembled at Shiloh and set up the tent of meeting there. Shiloh would be the center of their, um, where they would move the, the tent of meeting, uh, you know, the tabernacle and it would be kind of their place of worship until the time of the kings where it would get relocated eventually to, eventually to Jerusalem. It says, The land lay subdued before them. There remained among the people of Israel seven tribes whose inheritance had not yet been apportioned. So Joshua said to the people of Israel, How long will you put off going in to take possession of the land, which the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you? Basically saying to him, What are you waiting for? God has given you this. You're just sitting around. I mean, were you so used to just what you had before and maybe, you know, uh, camping and doing war and just waiting for the next thing? But there's a new phase here. You've got to move in and you've got to take possession of it. And yeah, if there's still some Canaanites in there, you've got to do the work of driving them out. Okay, and you need to, to do this. But what are you waiting around for? They're being slack and uh, Joshua has to, you know, light a fire under them to get them, to get them moving. This reminds us of this principle that just because something is offered doesn't mean that you have it yet. Doesn't mean you've taken possession of it. I think another principle as we think about this is this. Don't just focus on the initial conquests and slack off on the day-to-day -day grind. I mean, that's so true in so many things in life. You know, these people, they seem to love the conquest. You know, that seemed exciting. That was adventuresome. We'll, we'll, we'll conquer, we'll take this. It's, but it seems that they weren't as excited about going in and just settling the land and having to take it, having to uh, you know, farm it and do those things, the day by day by day by day things that they needed to do and they were called to do next. But this is a part of it. And just because it's not exciting doesn't mean they shouldn't do it. Dale Ralph Davis, a really good commentator on Joshua, writes this. Israel evidently had functioned fairly well in the initial onslaught of the conquest in the united push under Joshua. With the major crisis past, 
the time came for tribes to complete the conquest, remaining faithful in Yahweh's little-by-little work. Somehow, we relish the call for heroism, but not that for durability. We find being faithful in little more annoying than satisfying. No wonder Jesus warns us that those who are at first the most ecstatic over him may only endure for a while. The Christian's faith is not so much proved by his courage in a sudden crisis as by his faithfulness in daily plotting. And there's so much truth to that. It can be so exciting to, to get things started, to do the initial thing, the, 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 the conquest. But then we slack off in all the aftermath. That, that's the boring part. That's the long part. It takes a long time to do that. It'd be like somebody that just, they love hunting and they just love, you know, killing deer. And they just, but they don't love, you know, taking them and processing them and eating them and you know, the stuff that comes after that. And I think that can be so true of our lives as well, too. A lot of times people, they love, you know, the new conquest. They love getting things started. But then most of life is what happens after that is the day by day that's less exciting. And think of this in a few different ways, you know, um, for, for men. You know, you had the, the conquest long ago, if, if you're married already, you know, that you had to, you had to win your wife. You had to get her to, to like you enough to agree to, to marry you. And you view it as a conquest, but, you know, after that, it's day by day by day living with her. Okay, and being a good husband and trying to love her the way that Christ loved the church. And for some people, that's not maybe as exciting as it was just this initial conquest and seeing who I could win ladies on the other side you know there can be a way that some ladies are more excited about their their wedding day than their marriage that this is the big exciting the one day and after that well who who cares about that you know honestly I could care less about your actual wedding what I care more about what I care about is your marriage and that if the wedding was the the best day of your life and it's all downhill after that that's sad it's these day by day things it's not just getting the job but it's doing the job after you're hired and, and, and living this out faithfully day by day. We think about this even with salvation. It's not just about, okay, getting saved and having that exciting moment, but it's living as a Christian and following him day by day. It's so important. We also, if we look in here, we see scattered through this, this truth, that the failure of many tribes to drive out the Canaanites and to fully possess the land would end up being a snare to them. It would be a big problem. So most of the Canaanites, you know, the big strongholds had been driven out, but there remained some areas. And, you know, throughout the land, there'd be a little village here in different areas. And now the different tribes, they were supposed to go in and you clear your area. You take care of this. And we see a lot of them, they didn't do this. Let me give you four references here. Joshua 13, 13. Yet the people of Israel did not drive out the... Jeshurites and the Mechathites, but Jeshur and Mechath dwell in the midst of Israel to this day. Joshua 15, 63. But the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the people of Judah could not drive out. So the Jebusites dwell with the people of Judah at Jerusalem to this day. 1610. However, they did not drive out the Canaanites who live in Gezer. So the Canaanites have lived in the midst of Ephraim to this day but have been made to do forced labor. 
So they kept them around and they made them do forced labor. That's not what they were told to do. They were told to drive them out or to eliminate them if need be. In Joshua 17, 12 through 13, yet the people of Manasseh could not pay, take possession of those cities, but the Canaanites persisted in dwelling in that land. Now when the people of Israel grew strong, they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but they did not utterly drive them out. You see, God had warned them. Back in Exodus and Deuteronomy, you need to drive them out. Unless they're willing to convert and come under the authority of, of the Lord and actually do that, they need to be driven out or they need to be eliminated because otherwise they are going to draw you into their sin. They are going to infect you with this. They will teach you their, their wicked ways. They will lure you into idolatry because their idol worship is going to seem like a lot of fun to you. They do some crazy things that are going to really appeal to your flesh. And this is going to drive you away. And they were warned, but they didn't go all the way. They drove out a lot of the Canaanites. They limited them, but not all of them. And yet, it became a snare to them. After Joshua's the book of Judges. And this is the whole book of Judges is that because these Canaanites are still there, they keep leading the Israelites into sin. And because they're led into sin, they keep, uh, there keeps being trouble over and over again, this, this cycle. And if they would have gotten rid of this, them from the beginning, it would have been different. You know, it's like a doctor. Would you want a doctor that just says, you know what, I got, I got most of the infection. Uh, let's call it good. We got at least some of it. Got a little infection there, but you know, I got most of the cancer, but we'll leave the other. No, you, you get all of it because you know it's going to spread. I mean, that's the goal. So the choice for Israel was between full obedience or future consequences. And oftentimes that's true for us too. We think just like 30% obedience, everything will be pretty good. 50 or maybe I did 90% obedience. When we leave that compromise, there's going to be consequences. So keep that in mind. So we see some negative examples here. Tribes that didn't faithfully possess the land. They didn't have the, the, the faith and the trust in God to do what they were supposed to. We see failure. But we also embedded here, we can look at some positive examples as well, too. And especially with this guy, Caleb. Okay, so turn to chapter 14. We're going to take a look at Caleb. And we're going to see that Caleb took what God gave him with bold faith. Let me read 14, 6 through 15. And remember here who Caleb was when they sent out uh, the 12 spies, um, it, well, from this point, it's uh, 45 years ago. Uh, there were 12 of them. 10 of them came back and said, oh, the land, it's, oh, they're big. We can't do this. We look like little grasshoppers. Um, let's not do it. Let's not do it. And they didn't believe they were fearful. And there were two that said, yeah, they're big. They're challenging, but we can do this. And that was Joshua and that was Caleb. So here's uh, Caleb again. Chapter 14, verse 6 says, Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephthunah, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, 
in Kadesh Barnea concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up by me, who went up with me, made the heart of people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore in that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. Notice there that's the second time he said he's wholly followed. This isn't a 50%. This isn't 90%. It was all the way. He wholly followed the, the Lord. Verse 10, And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive. Just as he said, these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel was walking in the wilderness. And now behold, I am this day 85 years old, and I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then, for war and for coming, for going and coming. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there, these like giants, kind of like Goliath, with great fortified cities. And it may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. He's like, hey, I'm, I'm old, I'm 85 years old, but I feel strong. And you know what? There's Anakim still there. And it's a place that I... I we should conquer this, and I can do it. I'm up to it. If the Lord is with me, I'm going to do this. I think I can do it. And God's going to give me help. 13, then Joshua blessed him and gave him Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jethuna, for an inheritance. Therefore, Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jethuna, the Kenizzite to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel, now the name of Hebron formerly was Kirith Arabah, and Arabah was the greatest man among the Anakim, and the land had rest from war. So this old man Caleb here was again bold to take what God was giving him. This is an, just an awesome thing. Caleb, uh, at this point, was 85. We see some of the um, chronology. He was promised this from the Lord 45 years ago at Kadesh Barnea, that's the place where the spies went out from. It was on kind of the southern border where they were going to see if they were going to decide to conquer or not, and then they wimped out, uh, the nation did. Um, and then they were told, you're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. So Caleb said he was 40 at Canish Barnea, and there's a little bit of confusion here because um, I think of when it says you're going to wander for 40 years, but Deuteronomy 2.14 says it was 38 years from Kadesh Barnea, basically, till the conquest. So there was two years actually before that, from the Exodus until Kadesh Barnea. So yeah, it was 40 years total that they were wandering. So when God gave them the 40-year penalty, it kind of included two years of time previously served, so to speak. And so from this, you do the math, you can figure out then the conquest took seven years until this time that, that Caleb is talking right now. But he's 85 now, and he's going strong. In my mind, Caleb looks like Chuck Norris, okay? He's like, there's giants there, and I'm going to 
take my old man energy and we're going to beat him. <laughs> and we can do this and the Lord's going to be with me with this. And he wanted Hebron. He had his eyes set on this. He first saw when he was uh, scouting out the land. And you can see from the map here where Hebron is in the territory for, for Judah. This is where when Abraham was coming through, he, he bought a field to bury uh, Sarah, his, Sarah, his wife. And so it was kind of the first actual real estate that uh, uh, the people of Israel, Abraham's descendants, owned in that area, kind of their little, um, their, their, their foot in the door. And later on, it's where the patriarchs end up being buried. And he's like, I, I want this, and we're gonna, I'm going to go get it. And if the Lord helps me, we'll, we're going to get this. How do you view challenges? Other people looked at this and said, there's giants. This is going to be really hard. We're not going to do it. Do you look at challenges as insurmountable problems or just awesome opportunities? There's a story back in the day about a shoe salesman that was sent to a, uh, to a foreign land to sell shoes. Okay, and he was sent way off and had to get on a ship and go out there. And later on, he like messages back and says, send money, I got to come home. This is a complete failure. Nobody here wears shoes. So just a failure. So they bring him back. They send another salesman in. And after a little while, this salesman uh, sends a message back and says, send as many shoes as you can manufacture. Okay, the market on here is untapped. None of these people wear shoes. So, I mean, you can look at a problem, a, a challenge as an insurmountable problem or an awesome opportunity. You know what Caleb's secret was here? It wasn't just the power of, pos it wasn't the power of positive thinking. It's that he factored God into the equation. Caleb's secret is that he knew how to factor God into the equation. Yeah, so many things in your life uh, are going to seem like this is impossible from a human point of view different challenges, whether it's physical, whether it's a relational challenge, your, your walk with God even, you know, coming to him, all these things, there are things that are impossible, but if God is in the picture, this changes everything. You have to factor God into this equation. So giants or not, it didn't matter. You know, some people, they were scared by these giants. It made them feel like grasshoppers. You realize when you look at a problem in your life, a challenge, and it seems like a giant, a giant only looks like a giant if you're comparing it to you. If you compare a giant to God, this giant is now smaller than an ant. So what are you comparing your challenges, your problems to, just to yourself and your ability, or to the Lord? And we won't have time here to read in uh, chapter 15, 13 through 19, but there's an episode here. It's actually repeated in the book of Judges uh, that Caleb offers his daughter uh, to a man with the same type of bold faith. There's a city that needs to be taken, and Caleb says, okay, the city, it's still got Canaanites and everything in it. You know, whoever uh, can step forward and take this city, I will give my daughter to marry. And so this guy, Othniel, steps up. He's like, okay, I'm going to do it. And he goes and he conquers the city, marries Caleb's daughter. And actually, if you read the book of Judges, uh, it has that in Judges 1, and then in Judges 3, Othniel is the first of the judges, and probably the best of them. They can all go downhill after him. Uh, but he's this, this quality guy to step up there and, and get it done. And if you think, well, it's kind of, you know, Caleb's making his daughter kind of a, she's a uh, kind of a door prize for, for winning, you know, this, this battle. 
But I think there's something to this. Think about this. If you read um, about Caleb's daughter, she was a strong, assertive woman as well. And her dad was Caleb. And oftentimes, uh, when a girl grows up with a, with a, a good father, she's going to be looking for a husband that's like that. This daughter was not going to be satisfied with some passive man boy. Okay? Caleb knew that the only, his strong daughter is going to need a strong, assertive, uh, go get him type of husband for her to, to be with. Let me just say this, guys, okay? You want a dad to give you their daughter? Okay, go capture something. <laughs> All right? It might not be a city, but make it your goal. Go c- capture yourself in education. Get the training that you need. Go get a job okay, and keep that job, and show leadership with the people around you, show leadership and involvement and assertiveness at church, do these things, especially to be a a strong, assertive guy is just a good, good thing. Let me give you the main point again of all of this, and it was a sermon title so you don't miss it, (laughs) faith takes what God gives. God can give, he can offer, but receiving and taking possession is different, and it happens through faith, through trusting, through believing that this is real, through believing that it is worth it. The message here is not faith ignores what God gives. A lot of people were uh, in danger of doing that, being slack on this. This message is not faith takes whatever it wants. I'm not talking here about some kind of, you know, name it and claim it. Okay, some churches teach that. You can have everything you want. You can have this job or this, you know, uh, awesome car or whatever. You name it and you claim it. That's not what's going on here. God isn't to be treated like a, a magic genie to just grant these, you know, wishes. This isn't about health and wealth and, or God granting superpowers or time travel. But when God makes a promise, a real promise, God is faithful in giving what he has promised. And are you faithful in in taking possession of it by believing that it's true, believing it's really there, that God is really giving this to you, even if it seems impossible, even if it seems inconvenient? Most importantly, have you taken hold of the salvation that Christ has offered you that is available right now to, to anyone and everyone that will receive him, that will come in faith trusting him Don't think, well, I'll do it a different time. Or maybe it's not really worth it. You know, the gift certificate that I talked about, we thought, well, you know, I didn't really know if it'd really be worth the drive. Didn't really know if it was, you know, quite worth going out of our way. Everything always seemed, you know, it was more important than this and kind of got forgotten. Don't let that offer of salvation in Christ be like that. Because just like there's an expiration date here, there's a time where that offer goes away. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that you can come to Christ. Come to him while salvation still be found. And then as believers, think of all the other things that God does legitimately offer to you that you can take. He offers to you help in time of need. He offers you a, a changed and changing life, strength and courage. He offers you wisdom, okay? Pray for that. Not that it's just downloaded automatically in your wise. But there's steps that are taken, like, you know, Caleb actually had to go out and conquer, you know, get in your Bible, you know, talk to wise people, but God is willing to give you these things. He's willing to give you help 
in the struggle against sin, answered prayer, even giving you the, just amazing things, if he views it as best. If you view something else as best, he'll give you that instead. Joy in Christ, victory in Christ, and just as the land here at rest, to give you real rest in him. So have faith, take hold of what God gives you. Let's pray. Lord, you are the giver and you the one that receives all the glory, Lord God. Help us to believe that taking possession of what you give to us is worth it. That what you give us is good and that it is worth taking and taking now, Lord God. Lord, for those that have not yet taken possession and accepted you as their Savior, the one that died on the cross and rose for them, may they accept you and find new life. And Lord, give us the help that we need day by day. Give us help in our time of need. Give us joy in you, Lord God. And we thank you for your presence. We thank you that you are a faithful God that not only makes promises, but you deliver on them. In Christ's name and in faith we pray. Amen.